welcome Paul and yeah. Wow, thank you, Sam. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> oh, it's so nice to, to be here. I've been here once before. It wasn't a service day, but it was a work day about two years ago, and they were putting in some of the wall material, but it wasn't this last layout. It was some other layout that you had. So you have done a good job, and this is a warm, inviting space, and you can feel the Lord. You know, God does it really impressed by buildings, but on the other hand, when you worship the Lord and congregate with other believers, even if it's your living room, it starts changing something, you know, and people sometimes feel it. And you can even pray, Lord, give us a home. If we get to live in this house for a while, give us a home that it feels people notice something when they step in. They're saying that when they come in our home now, and we're so thankful to God for that because we hold us a small group at our house for people that want to be involved in missions and serving God. Um, so my name is Paul, and my wife is Lisa, and we left a card. Now, I gave this to a guy a couple years ago, and he said, nice picture, and put it on the table and put his glass on it. It's not really what that is. It's really not a coaster, but uh, if you want to, I guess you can, but, but it's, a, it's a prayer card, and we uh, made it square so that it would be different. So anyway, but this is just a reminder to pray for missionaries, for us and others that are on your heart. Um, that is so powerful because as I'm going to be sharing, God has a mission, it's not whether we have one and he can help us. God has a mission, and he's sharing part of that mission with us. And so an invitation to pray is an invitation to be a part of a mission that has results that last forever. And so that's why it's important enough. I'll wave it around a little bit. I hope that you put that someplace that you maybe see, um, refrigerator or, or office or under your iced tea, but whatever. <laughs> Laminate it first, right? Okay, so, uh, but it, when you pray, you begin to feel, and not just us, but other missionaries, you begin to feel the Lord kind of helping your prayer. Sometimes you get an idea, and you think, where'd that idea to pray that come from? That's God. He talks to you in normal voice. Sometimes you don't realize it's Him, and why don't you pray about their health, or why don't you pray about their kids, or why don't you pray? That can be God so very often just telling you a little nudge because you're part of the mission, and, and pray for that. So that's why these cards are here, and I hope that you will take one. I am um, an American born in the western slope of Colorado, born in Rangeley, Colorado, where my new friend Walter <laughs> walked around town <laughs> with my dad. And he said, pray, pray, uh, what was it, just canvassing and walking up to people you didn't know? So my dad was pastoring a little church, actually, there, you know, the church is the people, and the church was closed. They, there was no people. <laughs> they had a little building, and they're about to sell the building, and so my dad chose to go there because he said other, other places there's competition to become the pastor. He said there was no competition to become the pastor in Rangeley, Colorado. <laughs> and so when they got there and saw that the parsonage, the little bitty tiny house, which mainly had tar paper on the outside, uh, and the, the section of the churches at that time uh, that co cooperated a lot on things, they had a name for that house. It was called the Cardboard Castle. So my, so my parents moved into the Cardboard Castle. They had to cut a little sapling that had grown up in the front step to get in because it was just that dilapidated and, and messed up. My, my, uh, my mom's dad, who really wasn't a believer in Jesus, had given her as a wedding present a, one of those giant record players that was a piece of furniture. Remember those back in the day? It's like it's a big cabinet thing and the time there's giant speakers and it's big. 
And uh, when they tried to move that in, there was no wall in that little parsonage long enough to fit that piece of furniture. They had to knock down a wall and move it a little bit to fit the, to fit the present in. And so that grandpa, he was an old Texan. He was kind of ornery. And uh, he loved my mom. It was his, one of his four kids. And he told my dad, he said, my dad said, I want to have your daughter's hand in marriage or something like that. And he said, my dad really was likable, but, but he, wasn't, uh, he wasn't afraid of people. And most people were kind of afraid of my grandpa. <laughs> so, so I said, you know, I'd like to marry Joy. I really love her. And he said, this was what he said. You see that closet over there? And my father said, yes, sir. <laughs> Dad was from California, so he wasn't from Texas or Colorado. <laughs> yes, sir. That's where I keep my 22. And if I ever hear you're not putting food on the table, I'm coming after you. <laughs> so just to introduce myself, I'm going to tell you the end of that story. They were in this tiny town. It wasn't the center of commerce in the world, or even in the Western Slope, right? So you had to drive 50 miles to get to the next town, and that town was smaller than Rangeley. And so it's really isolated. And uh, they had very little money, and they literally had times they ran out of food, times they went to the mailbox and would find money in a letter. You know, that, that happened to them numbers of times. Uh, one time they were out of food, and a truck full of peaches showed up. <laughs> and a guy said he got lost trying to find the road to some other place. Well, you can't get lost and end up in Rangeley. I mean... You have to be seriously, uh, seriously distracted to get lost and end up in Rangeley. But anyway, he did, and he gave. He said they're going to spoil it. Give them all the peaches. The next day, here come all the ladies up from Grand Junction, and oh, you have peaches. Let's can them. And they just canned all the. You know, I think somebody might have been working behind the scenes. I don't know if it was God or the people, but anyway, they, you know, we had miracles like that. Well, they ran out of food, and my grandpa was coming from Texas the next day, and Dad said, "Well, I guess I'll find out about the 22." <laughs> so. You know, he's welcome in. He goes out to the mailbox before my grandpa gets in, or maybe after he gets in. It was that day. And, he, and there's a couple letters. He opens one of the letters, and here is a, a check for what to them seemed like a fortune. I think it was $150 or something. And um, and Dad was so excited. And so he walked back into the house, and he said to my, my, my grandfather, one of the things he had done was been a butcher. And he said, what kind of steak do you like, Dad? And, and uh, my grandpa looked at him and kind of growled and said, <clears throat> Kansas City Cup. So dad said, okay, I'm going to go get it. So he goes down to the little grocery store in Rangeley, Colorado. I'll have Kansas City cut. And the butcher looks at him and he says, is that like a T-bone? And my dad said, I think so. And so he came up and got some stuff. But there was food and he never got to find out about 22. So um, that's sort of our background. We left Colorado and America, not because we got tired of it, but because God has a mission. God is up to something that includes right where we live but it also includes things that are not right where we live. It includes people that are just the same culture and language and, uh, as you, that you get along. You know, some people you meet and instantly you get along with them. You know, you have so, so much in common. It includes those kind of people, but it also includes people that when you meet them, you have very little in common and you're hunting for something to communicate. Okay? God is, God is on a mission and he's sharing part of that mission with us. And so we left because my dad became convinced that these places around the world, you know, even though Rangeley didn't have a lot of gospel ministry, they had some, but there was places with very little or none. And, and there's places where the people needed help to evangelize their country. And my parents took me when I was five years old to Nigeria. And so for exhibit number one, we have a Nigerian shirt with Basile inside of it right there. It's incredible. <laughs> Now, the reason I know that he is adapting to culture very well, and you know, I, you worry a little bit when someone comes from another culture. You, 
a time or two today, I'll change my voice. <laughs> you will hear African English again, okay? <laughs> so we say, oh, my brother, I wonder if you're good. You fit to make it here in this country again. <laughs> I wonder if you can make it here. But when I look at him in his African shirt, I might think, oh, he can't really leave his country. But then I look at his feet. He's doing, he's doing fine. He's doing fine, all right? He's just fitting in really well, so... <laughs> Now, it's easier for you to look at him and see that there's some cross-culture. It's harder for people to look at me. Like, well, he's a white guy. He must be American. Well, I am American, but I'm not totally American. I grew up from age five all the way to college in Nigeria, and I am about half African. I am the whitest uh, Nigerian you have ever met. <laughs> and so... Um, I grew up in a place where the people always pointed and yelled, white man, at least they did in the 1970s and 1980s, okay? There were not very many of us where we lived, and they would point, oh, you know, where we lived, the only white men had been Catholic priests, and they would call them father, you know, father, 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 and they would even shout it when you're driving by in the car, father, father. So my dad and my mom and the two blonde-headed kids would drive by, and they would yell, father, father, <laughs> and you're thinking, that's not the kind of, that's an odd priest, but anyway. <laughs> this, this family, you know. <laughs> but, but it was an incredible chance to work with God on his mission. Now, I really came, I want to give you a little background, but this is the heart. This is the thing. I want you to know that the Bible reveals the why. Why do we do missions? If we stopped and asked for that and let you talk, we would have different ideas around the room. Uh, why missions? And one of the answers would be, I don't know why we do missions. <laughs> maybe, maybe Sam says to, so okay, you know, <laughs> why on earth do we do this? And, and there also is the what, what is it, you know, <laughs> but, there's the, but there's the why. Why would we be involved in spreading the good news of Jesus to people that aren't just like us? Now, when you start reaching to someone that isn't just like you, that does not mean you automatically have to stop reaching people who are like you. That's the number one thing that Christians around the world sometimes say, oh, if you love Africa, that means you don't love America. If you care about Chinese people, you don't care about Coloradans. Okay, just do the logic for me and realize that just because you love another group doesn't mean you stop loving the first group, right? And you actually can reach out to more than one kind of people at the same time in your life. You actually can. You could make not only friends in your culture for Jesus and bring them in here and, and meet the family and eat the donuts and, you know, the whole thing. But you could make cross-cultural friends for Jesus. In Longmont, Colorado and the surrounding areas, there's not one of you that could not make a cross-cultural friend for Jesus. Really? What, what does a missionary do? They go make friends for Jesus in places where people don't know about him. You can be a part of mission but without moving. And that's before you pray with my prayer card or giving an offering to somebody. That's before you do any of that stuff. You, you could be making a friend for Jesus across a cultural barrier. And, and you know what? When you make a friend, you're not demanding they convert to your religion. But if your faith is true, you're, you do invite them. You do show that that's possible. possible. But you say, but I, I'm going to love you no matter what you do. I want to be a friend with somebody that's not like me. You can do that. Would, would you be so... Would you look at each other and just say, we could do that? Well, I could make a friend for Jesus. Just a second, do that. Make sure you're still awake uh, during this here. I could make a friend for Jesus. I could make a cross-cultural friend. It's possible. So what's, what's one of the places you can do that? Well, let's just list a few of them in your community. What's one of the places you could actually physically meet somebody that's a different culture than you and make a friend? 
A grocery store, exactly, yeah. It's a really common place because almost all people eat everywhere in the world. It's an interesting phenomenon, okay? Well, one or two other places. What's another place? Work. Yeah, I mean, some jobs you look around and you're like, no, nope, this is one kind of people here. But other kinds. <laughs> but other places, if you look around, there's people who, and you're like, well, I think it's from some of those other countries or something, you know? Who? You could be the, the first guy at work that stops and listens to where he's really from and what language they really spoke, and whether that's the same language that the other one really spoke, <laughs> and on and on it goes. <laughs> you could be the first one to care enough to know this person's background. Do you know what it feels like to be in another country and people not be interested in your story and your background? And when I ask that question, there are some here that you know exactly how it feels to be in a new place, and no one wants to know the story of your background, and how important it is when someone cares enough to know. Couldn't we be those people? Couldn't we be those people? And you know, it's just natural that if you're that kind of person, you're going to find some who are spiritually hungry and want to hang out with you and want to ask questions and want to find out what spiritual truth that you may have found in your life. So we can do this, we can do this kind of work. Another place? Uh, neighborhood. neighborhood, yeah. Yeah, the people live in our neighborhood. And so often we're like, well, they, they're over there. <laughs> Let me challenge you. Instead of saying they live down the street, say they live here. Instead of saying, you know, I went to Texas and they said, well, we had Somalis in the grocery store today. Instead of saying there's Somalis in the, at the grocery store, say, there's Somalis in my, in my town, in my hometown. They, they, they are here, therefore we have a chance to reach them. And some of those cultures, like those Somalis, you cannot physically go to their country. It's very likely you will actually be killed if you do as an outsider. You almost cannot get into Somalia, but Somalis came to a little town in Texas and a whole bunch of other places. <laughs> okay? and, and there are people group that needs friends so to make friends for Jesus with them. That needs to happen. This is the mission of God. Well, let's go to the Bible because what I want to say today is that this Bible tells us the why. Why do we do this? Why? So like, it's okay for you, Mr. Paul. You seem to like other cultures. You lived in other places. So why don't you take care of it? Can we hire a few specialists to take care of missions for us and we can go back to living normal right here in Colorado? And the answer is no. That isn't because that's our dignity is to work with God in his mission. I am a missionary. I work with university students now across America. That's the last one I was going to put on the list. You can meet international people at universities and make friends. If you have an apartment or a house, and you are even a little bit friendly, <laughs> you can have an actual ministry befriending international students and saying, come over to my house and see an American house. A lot of people will come four years to an American university from around the world and never one time be invited into an American home. Why not? Why can't it be people that love Jesus that lead the way and invite them into our home? Why not do that? Uh, is this interesting? Are you mad now? Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this Bible is actually, we treat it like, like a mine. We mine it for nuggets. So it's like the old gold rush days. Go dig in them hills and maybe I'll find a nugget. And oh, that's a good one. And that's true. I like that verse. Verse 27. That's my verse, you know. So we treat it like nuggets. But even though you can get truth that way, that's not the way the Bible was written. The Bible was written as one big, long story. It's kind of a giant story. And this is not like a short, epidition of, uh, a short episode of Gilligan's Island, right? This is like a long thing. This is like Lord of the Rings. It's like <laughs> several sections. How would you watch Lord of the Rings if you had it on DVD? Would you go to disc two, scene 24, watch it three times, and then go to disc five, 
and then go to disc one? What would happen if you just jumped around randomly in the little chapters on your disc? I think they call them chapters. Would you have a clear understanding of the story of Lord of the Rings? You would know some costumes. You'd be familiar with a couple funny words. <laughs> you might see an exciting fight somewhere. <laughs> but you would not understand the story. And I want to submit to you that it's very possible that we have understood some of the clothes, <laughs> some of the stories, some of the, the feel, and some of the good moments in the Bible, but maybe missing the big story sometimes. The big story tells you the why. Why missions and why you and why me. Okay? I want to pray that was before, as we go, just go into Bible now, that God will give understanding and interest, make you interested in, and, and give understanding. Lord, help me to speak words that would really make a difference. Give us the gift of attention and interest and understanding. And Lord, some, for somebody here, let somehow something that I say um, be really helpful in how they understand the Bible and God and their life. In your name. Amen. You see, this Bible, if you, I'm going to give you two illustrations. The second one has pictures, but the first one is all imagination. Are you ready? Your imagination is out. Where's my young people? Okay. <laughs> Imagine that instead of a box, I'm holding, uh, instead of a book, I'm holding a wooden box. It's all carved up like one of those Indian boxes you can see at World Market, World Goods, or whatever that store's called. And you, and you look in here, and it's, and it's real pretty. And then when you say, I wonder what's inside. So you open the box. What's in there? Right, a whole bunch of beads. That's the right answer. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Colored beads like blue and red and silver and all kinds of little sparklies. And so you can stick your finger in there and move them around. You can reach and pull out. I like blue. Ooh, look at that. I like silver. Ooh, you know. That's one way to treat the Bible. But I'm going to take the Bible, this box of treasure, and I'm going to do something different. I'm going to close it, and I'm going to, I don't know what that does, but it changes it. Okay. <laughs> Open it again. Now, I want you to reach in and pull out your blue bead. Oh, wait, what's happening? When you pull out your bead, this time, they're all coming out together because somehow, as I turned it around, they all got strung on a silver, a silver string and a silver cord. And as you get one, you pull out all the beads, and it's a necklace. Now, what's the difference between... It's the same beads, right? It's the same beads. It's the same stories. It's the same verses. But what's different? When they're lined up on a necklace done in the right order, it's beautiful. It has symmetry, and you can actually use it. Not too much you can do with a bead, except show it to your friends and try to keep the baby from swallowing it. <laughs> but with a necklace, what can you do? You put that around your neck, and you can wear it and use it. That's what the Bible's supposed to be like, a story that goes in order. And so instead of jumping back and forth all over the Lord of the Rings, <laughs> we're going to go in order here for a little bit, okay? Here's the second one. So, mission of God is found, the beginning is found in chapters 1 through 12 of Genesis. That's like the introduction that lets you know what's going on. They had that in Lord of the Rings. They introduced you to the Shire. There were these little people with hairy feet. They're jumping around and they're singing and having fun. And there's a big wizard coming in and he seems scary but kind of good. And you're like, this world, so they're telling you what the world is like. You know, that's why so many movies start, this trailer starts, in a world where, <laughs> in a world where giant toasters rule the planet, you know, <laughs> so <laughs> they have to set the story. So chapters 1 through 12 sets the story of the Bible. If you never sit down and just read Genesis chapter 1 through 12, you may never really fully understand the story of the Bible. And if you think that I'm wrong, try it and see if it changes anything for you, okay? But let's talk about this. So the question we ask is, how can I fit into your mission? It's not, how can you fit into my mission? It's, how can I fit into your mission? So next, uh, 
that God, say that, I'm going to say this, God is on a mission and he's sharing part of that mission with us. That's the message I learned from my dad that Sam talked about and he used to preach all over the world. God's giving us place in his mission. He's giving us the dignity of doing work that has value and lasts forever. A lot of important and dignified work is crucial and yet you know when you're doing it that it won't last forever. You could be a house builder and build a great house, but you know it probably won't be there 200 years, you know. It might not be there 25 years. <laughs> God is giving you a chance to do work that will last for all eternity. Whether you're a man, whether you're a woman, whether you're highly educated or you didn't get the opportunity for a lot of education, definitely, despite any racial differences or cultural background differences that you have, every single child that comes to him, God is giving the chance to work in his mission. So would you just say it with me? God is on a mission, and he's sharing part of that mission with us. It's part of the mission because Jesus came and died on the cross for the sin of the world, and you and I don't have to do that. But what we have to do is be willing to put our life on the line to tell the world that he did that. See, we're in the marketing department. <laughs> we're the ones spreading the story of the story that changes everything. That's what's going on here. So next. Um, the, this is my second, so I had the box of beads, but this is, a, 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 this is a, a bridge. The idea is the Bible also can be seen as a bridge. And these are pictures. So just, you know, maybe you're pictorial. Well, this is for you. Okay. <laughs> Hello, artists. Here we go. <laughs> see, the, giant, the Bible's like a, a bridge. Bridges don't just appear out of no place. Uh, when you see one, you know somebody had it in mind. They had to make it, and they had to set it up and do it. And it, has, it starts on one side, and it goes to the other. And the bridge, like the necklace, has usefulness. You could actually get on the bridge and cross from one side to the other and save how many hours trying to figure out where to cross that river, right? Okay. And so, um, so the Bible is a bridge. It's taking us toward heaven. It's, it shows us God's worldview and how to know and, and serve God. Um, and it's not there by, by accident. It's the mission. God has a mission. He's doing something with humanity who are in a lost or separated condition from God. And he's trying to do something with that lostness or that separation. So the next picture. So here's a couple. You can see some, some people say their view of what Christianity is and what a biblical a Bible faith is. I'm going to just kind of serve Jesus. What does that mean? Some of them, it's like this bridge. <laughs> Have you seen, who's been that one on the Grand Canyon? There's the bridge that has glass bottom and you walk out over the Grand Canyon and you can look straight down. Now, I'm, 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 I don't have any fear of heights until I get there. And then I just can't do that. <laughs> But the other thing that's funny about that bridge, you see what? It's, it ends up just about where it starts, just a few feet over. You see that? A whole lot of people around us in Longmont, Boulder County and all, they say, well, religion is like that. It's sort of a journey or a discipline. And you, you really end up more or less the same place that you started. But it's just a way to keep busy and keep active while you're alive, before you die. Right? Yeah, I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. A lot of people think this, okay? What about the other one? <laughs> This is funny. It had to be in France, and it is. Okay, so I speak some French. I really like French, but but in France, there's a place where the tide comes in, and they've built this bridge to nowhere. It starts on the tidal flat, and it ends on the tidal flat, <laughs> and it doesn't do anything. <laughs> and when you climb up and go over, you climb down. <laughs> you know, this is called existentialism. Life has no meaning, so just do something with all your heart, and then die. You know, so <laughs> make a choice and live with the results. And that's what life is all about. Did you know a lot of people are living that way? You go to universities all over America, and there's numbers of professors teaching people that that is exactly 
the ultimate in life. Just make a decision and run with it because there's no meaning anywhere. That's exactly what's being taught in some places. Not by everybody, but by some people, okay? So moving on. What other ideas are the big picture, the bridge? What is life all about? What's the reason why? What's the reason why God calls us to work with him? Here's a giant bridge, maybe Brooklyn or someplace, and all these people coming on it. I don't know what they're doing, but when I look at that picture, uh, I just see the crowd all going one direction, and I see this one guy right here. He's got his head kind of turned, and it, <laughs> to me, he's like looking around, and, he, and all of a sudden, you know, he's been going on this bridge a long time, and all of a sudden, he looks around, and he says, where are we going? <laughs> There's parts of our town, parts of our country where a lot of people are religious. A lot of people say they're Christian. They're all kind of walking it out a little bit. Nobody's thought about what it means or even what they really believe. It's just kind of a habit. It's just kind of a habit. And I think God wants it to be more than a habit. Why do you go to church? I'm in the habit. <laughs> okay. We need to know where we're going. We need to know our mission. The next picture, just zooming through these real fast. How about, how about the Golden Gate? Funny thing about San Francisco and the Golden Gate is that the fog comes in. And it has a lot of arches, right? But when the fog comes in, you can only maybe see one of them sticking out. And so you see this one part of the Bible really well. Like, I see Romans, or I see, you know, Jude, or <laughs> some book that you like. Psalms, you know. And, and, and it's all about this. But the problem is that the Bible has that, but it also has something else. So let me ask you, is our God a God of love or a God of judgment? That was the right answer. Who said that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> the really right answer is yes. God is a judge because things need judging, but he's also a God of love because he is loving by nature. You see, that's why he's given us a story. If you just put bullet points in a book and say, well, God loves and he judges, it just doesn't make sense. It's like, ah, Christians don't make sense. <laughs> but if you tell the story of a God who made people to glorify him, and those people, for no good reason at all, decided not to, and to try to glorify themselves instead, to have a rebellion, and kick God off the throne that he deserved, and become the leaders and the gods of their own lives, and then begin sinning and creating heartbreak, not only for God, but for each other and themselves, you can see that sin needs judgment, just like cancer needs to be gotten rid of if it's in your body. And you, if you, the doctor says, well, you have a tumor, and it could kill you, or we could cut it out, and you might live, you know, and, and you're like, and so what do you want to do? <laughs> well, at that point, you're glad that your doctor is a doctor of judgment, judgment against cancer, right? <laughs> because the judgment can maybe save something, your life, some other part of you. And God looks at the human race and he sees hearts that are hard and are not going to change. And he sometimes sends judgment so that others will see it and realize that God means business and he can be, he will respond to evil and he will call us to himself to serve him. And so there's a real choice we can make that has real implications. Let's follow Jesus. Let's follow the he, Let's find the God of love by following his open door before we arrive at the God of judgment for our sins, which all of us have committed. Does that make sense? I'm talking fast. I'm sorry. Time is short, though. I was told I could not go past 3.30 today, so anyway. <clears throat> you see, when you only love one part, you have these, these theology books like, like Sam, Pastor Sam reads. You know, and like One of them is like, God's this way, and the other one's like, God's that way, and they disagree. And, and they're like different parts of the bridge sticking out of the clouds. And the problem is when we do everything topically, or it's called systematic theology, and it's good to do, but when you do everything topically, you miss the story. You miss that God is brokenhearted, and in fact, We've sinned against God. God is hurt. 
We cause God's heart pain. But the same God who we have pain and rebelled against is trying to save and love us. And we're fighting him off the same way a drowning man fights off a lifeguard. That's the story in the Bible. That's the story in the Bible. So moving on. Uh, A lot of people look at the Bible and it's like, you know what? It's a whole bunch of books that don't connect. (laughs) This bridge had trouble, right? (laughs) This one fell. (laughs) I'm not an engineer. And if I was, I think that might be my bridge. I'm not sure I could build it right. But I think Walter might be able to build a bridge that would actually stay up. Uh, (laughs) But, but, you know, some people would never say this. But in reality, they're like, all these books in the Bible, they don't seem to go together. And so you just kind of read the flavor of the day, but you you don't try to make it work. It's like all the beads are loose in the box. And I want to tell you, that's not the truth. That's not the truth. There is the theme of God's love for mankind in every book in the Bible, okay? And so then, um, oh, I get to have too many of my pictures. Here's a house in, in Europe where they built a house on the bridge. Some people feel the Christian faith is to settle down and be really, be rich and famous, if, you know, <laughs> have a great life and build a fortune and then before you die, you know? And so God is here to bless my 401k, period, <laughs> Well, God may bless your 401k if you have one, or he may not. You know, it depends on a lot of things that are above what we even understand. But the point is not how successful and and impressive can we be during this life. The point is, are we going to arrive at the right destination after this life, and are we going to bring people with us? That's the point of his mission. Okay? So if you have a nice house, use it for the mission. If you don't, use the one you got for his mission. You know, it's just like, serve God, whatever you had, use it for the mission. The next picture uh, here is, uh, this is a precious little one who is, just, uh, the bridge is just for playing on. It's just, it's safe and comfy and happy. And I come to church and I can sing a song. And, you know, it doesn't really matter if people are hurting all around. Because that's not our focus. We're just enjoying our little, our little place in the sun. And I think God has mercy when we're like that. But I think he tries sometimes too and says, please open your heart. You know, you may have tried a hard time to open your heart to everyone. But could you open your heart to one? <laughs> Can you open your heart to one more person or maybe one more culture that you didn't before? Okay. God actually didn't come to make us always safe. He came to make us useful. He didn't come to make us happy every moment. He came to give us dignity, a battle worth fighting, and a reason worth living. That's what he really came to do. Okay? So, I'm challenging American culture, which is a consumer culture. The ultimate good is that all the consumers get everything they want. And I'm saying, no, the ultimate good is that God gets what he deserves. And he provides our needs. If we trust him, he'll provide you with things you need and want. But the point is not that God will help you be a happy consumer. The point is, he can make you dangerous. (laughs) He can make you dignified. And he can make you useful. Okay, so how many more minutes do you want, Mr. Sam? None? One or two? Five? (laughs) Okay, let's do just a little bit more. So moving on ahead here. When you really see this mission of God, you see it's a bridge that's beginning to go. I went to Florida where my wife is from. (laughs) You know, I'm from Colorado and I love mountains. She's from Florida and she loves the beach. So every year we go... (laughs) To the beach. But anyway, because <laughs> I'm not a fool. Okay. <laughs> but you know what? They, they had a, a storm come and knock out the big bridge out to the island. It's this like two mile long concrete bridge and it knocked it out. Like, man, what a storm, you know? And then the next year we came and they were putting in concrete pilings 
all over in this bay. It's not, this, this isn't the picture of it, but it was kind of like that. But they did it, they did it in a funny way. They didn't do it in order. They had several here and some out there and two way over on the other side. And it looked like they were just pouring concrete into the bay, to the Gulf of Mexico. Like it sounded like a government project, like, yay. <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> and, and so that year it was like, what on earth is happening with you know, all our tax dollars, you know, and the, this concrete. The next year I came back and it was like this. They were, they were all in place. You could see the path of the pillars like a line and the roadbed was coming about halfway across already. And, 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 and you could see that not only was it a purpose and not only was it going to hold a road, but that maybe next year when I come, I could actually get on that road and drive to the other side. And that's exactly what's happened. I've been on that bridge now many times. That's what sometimes the Bible is like for us and God's purposes, like a little blessing here, a little lesson there. Do this, don't do that. It just seems random. <laughs> but if you just stay with it and, and, and read it and read it with this in mind, you start seeing it all lining up. God's trying to win people who rebelled against him and bring them back. And not just one kind, all kinds, all kinds. He's not unjust and he just picks one, one flavor, <laughs> one, ki- one, one color of humans, one culture of humans. He comes all kinds, all kinds. One of the greatest challenges facing real Christians today is what we're going to do with Muslims. Not just the majority Muslims who are family people and very friendly, but that, that minority group, which is fairly, has its own size, that, that is really aggressively, um, they scare you just a little bit, okay? But a lot of them are quite sincere in their faith. What are we going to do? Are we going to love our enemies? Oh, it's easy to laugh at Jonah who would not go to the Ninevites and not realize that we won't talk to an Afghan or an Iraqi that moves into town. God's really challenging us. Would you make a friend even across the lines that said this was my enemy? He is healing those rips. He wants to bring people to his family from those groups. He's trying to make you a brother or a sister to those kind of people, and them, the brother and sister to you. Well, okay. That mission is going forward. And so let me just close by saying, um, Genesis, God makes people in his image, they can worship him, and they can know him. But instead of worshiping him and knowing him, they decide to worship themselves by doing what they want, <laughs> and they, they, thought it, they didn't think it was a big deal to forget about God. They lost their knowledge of God. What's God going to do? He could have, if he was completely just and not loving, he could have just wiped the slate clean, gotten rid of all the humans, and started again if he wanted to. I think he would have been just to do that because he didn't leave us. We were the ones that left him. But you know what? He loved us. He wanted to receive the glory that we were born to give. To him. That was right. And he wanted us to feel the joy of having that big hole in our heart filled with the only thing that can fill it, which is the presence of God. And so, at greatest personal cost to himself, he chose to work a plan of salvation that would cost him the life and death of his son as a human being on earth. But through that death for our sins to pay a price and through that resurrection to life 
to give us a new life and a new mission. See, Jesus didn't just rise from the dead, oh, you know, sort of develop a long robe and a halo and say, say, be thankful for me every now and then and you're good. No, no. Jesus rose up like a conquering king. He rose up like the captain of an army. And he said, I'm alive. And now we're going to go get the devil. And we're going to go drive out the demons. And we're going to go set the captives free. Come on, men and women. Let's go. And he's leading the charge. He didn't come to be a pretty picture on your wall. He came to be a captain giving you your life direction today and tomorrow. You don't have to reach everyone that you know with Jesus. But you do have to try to reach somebody. And so do I. You don't have to befriend every person you could possibly find, but why not befriend at least one? We have a mission because God has a mission, and he's sharing part of that with us. He's sharing part of that with us. Where is this in the rest of the story, Mr. Paul? Glad you were thinking that. (laughs) Do you remember Ruth? Oh, yeah, that's a love story. That shows that love is good and marriage is good. Well, that's true, but who was Ruth? Was she one of the people of God? (laughs) She was, <laughs> she was from Moab, Utah. No, no, no. Moab. Uh, <laughs> she, the other Moab. <laughs> she was from a group that not only was not Israel, they were a group that had attacked Israel when they were coming into their inheritance. And God had said, do not let a Moabite come into my temple. Because of what they have done, don't let them in. And this little girl, Ruth, we just love her when we meet her because she's so loyal. And, and, her, and, and her friend, her, her friend Orpah, she leaves and goes home. And, and, but she just holds on to Naomi and she says, no, don't make me leave you. Don't make me go. Because see, Naomi came close enough. You know, her, her sons married these girls, right? So her, one of her sons married Ruth and then the son died. And the husband died and the other brother died. All the men died. It's really bad for us, Basile. <clears throat> And the mother says, I can't take care of you. I can't even take care of myself. See, a widow in those days, you've driven almost, there's very few options except prostitution to stay alive. And she's like, I can't even take care of myself. And I definitely can't take care of you. I wish I could, but the best I could do is send you back to your people and your gods. And this one girl named Orpah, she kisses her and goes back to her mother, goes back to her father's house and goes back to her gods. But Ruth, she says, I've been too close to you and the way you live and the way you treated me, and the way you treat others. Too close to the stories of your God, I've started to believe what you say is true. Don't make me leave. Don't make me leave. Let me go with you. Your people will become my people, and your God will be my God. And we are supposed, as readers, we're supposed to catch our breath. Oh, Ruth, you're so sweet. Don't wish for that. That's impossible. That's the thing that can't happen according to the law. That's the one thing that can never take place. And God said, you Moabites aren't allowed. Please no. And they were like, oh, what's God going to do? Is he going to be just? Is he going to notice that Ruth is different than the other Moabites? Is he, what's he going to do? What did God do? Well, you could read it and find out. <laughs> That's an Old Testament story. Psalms. One-third of all the psalms, which were songs that they sang in the Old Testament temple, one-third of all the psalms talk about the nations that were not Jewish. This is the Jewish temple, right? With all the Jewish hair and Jewish clothes and, and Jewish language and, you know, singing in a minor key. <laughs> lie, 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 lie. <laughs> and what are they singing about? Gentiles. Pagan, heathen people. <laughs> and they're either saying God rules over you or they're saying come and worship with us. And one of them, one of the first ones, it says... Come and kiss the sun. Well, in those days, 
like if there's a, a king, the king's having trouble, the one realizes I'm the loser here. He said, I need to go and I need to beg for mercy. <laughs> I need to make it right. I need to be friends and they would give a kiss. Kiss the son of God, lest he be angry and you perish in your way. But blessed are all those who come to him. And they're saying, make a choice. You from other nations that didn't know about God, but now we're telling you, we're singing it to you. Did you know those Old Testament Jews probably sang about the nations and God more than we do in church today? What about Jesus? Jesus, that, that's my Savior. My Savior. Yeah, but he's also the Savior of all the ends of the earth. He's the one that when he was born, a man named Simeon took him in the temple. <laughs> Before we were missionaries to students in America, we were missionaries in Ethiopia. And we had a little baby named John. Now he's 23. <laughs> so, but we could hold John back then. And what they would do in Ethiopia when they see your baby, they would walk up to you and they would take him out of your hands. <laughs> oh, he's very pretty. And then they say, is it a boy or a girl? And you're like, I put him in blue, you know, but some things are cultural. So <laughs> blue and pink, that didn't mean the same thing over there. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's what Simeon did. He was like an Ethiopian. He walks up to Mary. <laughs> who's <laughs> got this precious little baby that the angel says the son of God and she's trying to take care of him, right? <laughs> By the way, have you ever thought about Mary, you know, later on when Jesus is a little bit older and they go to the temple and Jesus gets lost? He disappears? Can you imagine Mary's heart? How they're just like, oh God, you know, I've lost the son of God. Oh, what am I going to do? But this was earlier, and she's just carrying the baby's mind in her own business, and here comes this old, ancient, prayerful guy, you know, and he's got a kindly face, but he just reaches out and pulls the baby out, and he says, my eyes have seen a light of salvation for your people, and a light for salvation for the Gentiles. What's that Gentile word? It means all the nations, all the other kind of people that aren't like you. Light for the Gentile. He holds a baby, not, and I really am. Closing. Like Paul, he closes starting in chapter 2, usually. But <laughs> I hold a baby. I'm just going to be honest. I, look, I hold a precious little baby, and I, I see work. Okay. <laughs> My wife holds a baby, and she sees all that's good in the world. <laughs> you know. But Simeon held this baby, the baby Jesus, and he saw a light for people who spoke other languages. He said, now you can take me home to heaven. Because it's happened. The light for the nations is here. And in Revelation, is there any mission in Revelation? It said, oh, there's horns and beasts. And, you know, if you've never read Revelation yet, uh, well, go slow, okay? <laughs> it's a hard book to understand. There's lots of symbolic visions and, and, you know, people don't understand. But, but I'll give you a key. If you underline every time in Revelation it talks about nations, you'll all of a sudden see one theme that is clear. The nations are being called back to God, and the nations will. We're not going to a heaven. We're like, well, we tried to reach the Iraqis, but they were all Muslim, and it didn't work. We're going to go to a heaven, and we're going to have Iraqi neighbors worshiping their Savior, Jesus. We're not going to be in a place where it's like, we tried to reach out to the Hopi and Navajo and Apache reservations and, and things in New Mexico and, and Arizona, but there was really bad history between us in the past and somehow the church has never grew. there's no no when i get to heaven i'll worship with a hopi and a zuni i will worship with these people how do i know that because i can do it i can't because god has said i will receive the glory that i am deserving and i will bring my joy of my presence to every kind of people there is 
So why missions? Because God has a mission. This world is still turning because God isn't done with something. My dad, my dad would take me, I would do a lot of homeschool in Africa because the schools were different systems and so I did school in my bedroom. <laughs> so, but sometimes dad would come in the room and I want to pray with you after this story. So I invite you to prepare your heart for that. Sometimes he'd come in the room and say, Paul, uh, come with me. Leave your studies. Come out here with me. I get all excited. Number one, I could leave my English class. Yay. You know? <laughs> Number two, I liked my dad and my dad liked me and he was a really good father. He's in heaven. I want to, I want to get there with him. But I also would be curious, what were we going to do now? You never do with my dad. So I might say, Dad, Dad, what are we going to do? And you imagine me about 11 years old, okay? I'm all excited. <laughs> Dad, what are we going to do? Dad would say, Paul, we're going to fix the car. <laughs> now, if you knew my dad, <laughs> he was real good at walking around town meeting strangers. Fixing cars? Not so much, okay? So, so he wasn't helpless, but you'd be a little scared if my dad was your major mechanic in, in your life. You know, so. <laughs> but to me, I didn't care about that. And, and, and he said, I said, what do I do? He said, get that toolbox and carry it out here to the car. So I'd pick up the toolbox, and I'd stand straight, and I'd walk out, and I'd be a huge smile on my face, lugging this toolbox out. And if you asked me what I was doing, I'd say, me and my dad are fixing the car. There was dignity. My dad wanted me to work with him. He needed some help. He would say, give me the wrench. No, that's a screwdriver, the wrench. <laughs> was I really changing the engine or the oil or whatever? I was really just handing him the wrench, right? I was, I was mainly handing him things. But what was I doing? I was helping. I did have a part, and he had included me. And he, he, whoever else was out there, he chose me and asked me to do it. I had... You say, Paul, why are you so proud? Why are you so happy to, to walk out there? It wasn't just because I was leaving my classes. It's because I was helping my dad on his work. I was helping dad fix the car. And our father is right here in Longmont today. And he's looking at daughters and sons of all ages and all backgrounds. And he's saying, son, daughter, would you leave what you're doing for just a little bit this week? Come out with me for an hour or for 30 minutes. And let's go fix the world. Let's go make a friend for Jesus. Let's reach out and make a friend with somebody. If the first one isn't very friendly, try the next second one. They might be, they might be. yeah? And if it's a place that you get a burden like, oh, I want to do something about that country, and, you know, but I can't go there. We have people that go to those places. We can help them. We can pray for them. We can give gifts to them. We can give offerings where they can stay alive. It's really nice to be able to stay alive when you're a missionary living in those places. You know, like, we can eat again. They remembered us. You know, <laughs> We can do that. It's, we are doing it. But we, we can help our Father fixing the world. There's a day of judgment coming, and there won't be any more chances for people because we're all sinners. But there's chances now. If you have any time left in your life, you have long enough to do something with God and his mission. 